the transition to this new role, it's been very empowering to be on the side where resources truly exist and to harness that energy and those assets, not just financially, but also the human capital that exists within organizations and bring all of that to bear in ways that help nonprofits have an impact, right? Like they know what to do. We don't need to tell them what to do. We just need to come with resources to help them. Tap into the minds of change makers creating real impact on people and our planet. It's time to live your purpose. I'm your host, Dale Wilkinson, and this is Good Makers. What is up? Welcome to episode 49. If this is your first time listening, hello. Thanks for clicking on this little podcast. What I do here is interview social entrepreneurs and leaders who are using business to make an impact on the environment, racial equity, homelessness, and a multitude of other causes. I dig into how they got to where they are today and what lessons they learned along the way so that you can take away valuable insights that you can apply in your own career. So hit subscribe if that sounds good to you. And if you're a loyal listener, I'd appreciate it so much if you just took 20 seconds to leave a rating and a review. And if you're feeling extra generous, please share this podcast with any friends, family, or colleagues who you think could benefit from listening to these incredible change makers I get to chat with. And if you're looking for a new job, Come sign up to goodgigs.app and create a custom job alert where you'll get a weekly email with the latest full-time, freelance, and remote gigs from mission-driven companies. This episode, there really is something for everyone. I speak with Holly Copeland, who is the Senior Director of Corporate Social Responsibility, Sustainability, and Impact at Horizon Therapeutics, a biotechnology company focused on treating rare diseases. Holly started her career in the nonprofit sector, then transitioned to a role in government before landing in her current position at a for-profit public company. Holly shares the motive behind her career path and also gives advice to people who are trying to decide what direction they want to go in for their career. Holly also explains what corporate social responsibility is and how companies and employees should go about implementing initiatives that are authentic and aligned with the company's values and how to build strong partnerships with nonprofits and your community so together you can create meaningful impact. Okay, let's jump into my chat with Holly Copeland. Holly, how you doing? Thank you so much for coming on the show. Thank you. It's a pleasure to be here. Now, you are the Senior Director of Corporate Social Responsibility, Sustainability and Impact for Horizon Therapeutics. First question, at what stage in your career did you realize that you wanted to use your skills for good? I, I would imagine like most of your listeners, it is a, a calling that existed for quite a while. I think in my case, my, my background really led me to a path of, of service and giving back, starting from kind of coming from a, a lower income background myself and, and really seeing firsthand how access to opportunities really influences a person's ability to, to reach their full potential and how because I was fortunate enough to have access to certain opportunities along the way, 
you know, was enabled to to build a career starting in in the nonprofit sector, transitioning into to government and politics, and then now in the corporate sector, while also maintaining this this commitment to service and weaving in, you know, giving back and creating opportunities for others along the way. Was that like it was a no brainer for you? Like, like when you were going to college, did you just know the direction that you wanted to take and not not entirely so i received the news when i was a senior in high school that i was pregnant with my first daughter lyric and you know at that time i i was very motivated to take care of her and myself having not had any money and so i i actually decided to major in business because i thought that that would be a pathway to securing a, a you know a sustainable comfortable lifestyle for the both of us and so that was sort of the intention while i was in school and you know we all have these sort of like quintessential uh markers in our our lives where you've got this crossroads that presents itself and i very clearly remember uh, approaching my senior year, there was this opportunity to do internships. And and I had been offered an internship with Morgan Stanley and also an internship with this organization that was part of the war on poverty fights anti-poverty. And it's a part of a, a national network. And, you know, both opportunities were there on the table. And, you know, my gut was just like, you got to go the anti-poverty route. Like you got to figure out how you can create access to opportunities and and give back in ways that, that create space for others like myself and, and many others to reach their full potential. That's awesome. So that was the fork in the road for you. Yeah. And you haven't looked back since? No, I, I, I have not. I mean, it's, I mentioned earlier, there's, you know, it's been interesting to see how my career has sort of overlapped with these different areas because it's allowed me to understand impact from, from different vantage points, right? So kind of starting out in the nonprofit sector I was this, you know, bleeding heart, liberal, like ideologue, like we are going to convince legislators to provide school breakfast for kids because they're hungry and it's the right thing to do. And, you know, you go in with this attitude, like thinking you can take on the world. And then what you realize um, is there are lots of variables at play that influence decision making. And knowing that it becomes challenging to think through how you actually have an impact. How can you actually move the needle? And, you know, for me, I, I just kind of, I wanted to transition away from being in this position where you kind of have your hand out quite a bit and you do a lot of time trying to convince people and sometimes you just feel like you're running into a wall. So for me, that transition into to, to government was really, all right, how can we leverage and harness the power of government in ways to, to convene different stakeholders in a way that can move the dialogue forward, create space for nonprofits and businesses to work together? And that was incredibly rewarding. But now I would say that the transition to this new role, it's been very empowering to, to be on the side where resources truly exist and to harness that energy and those assets, not just financially, but also the human capital that exists within organizations and, and bring all of that to bear in ways that, that help nonprofits have an impact, right? Like they know what to do. We don't need to tell them what to do. We just need to come with resources to help them. So it's kind of come full circle from you starting in a nonprofit, you transitioned to the government. What made you transition to then a for-profit organization from government to for-profit? Was that again, something like you realized that a business could have more of an impact? Absolutely. I mean, it's the scalability of impact because in government, 
when you serve and by serve, like I, I was part of a governor's administration. And so an elected official has their core team and you come in and you're there for four years, maybe eight years, and you accomplish most of the things, hopefully, that you have set forth on your agenda. But after your time's up, you're gone and a new team comes in and they have their own agenda. And so some of those gains are short lived and you can right. have a dramatically different outcome depending on who's in, in power. And so for me, it was thinking about the longevity of impact and the scalability and really what, the, where that resides in, 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 from my perspective is, you know, when you go to businesses that have this intentionality around being around for the long term and thinking yeah. strategically, um, about, the, the products and services and the, and the stakeholders communities that they're building. If you can add impact into that, that mix and make that a pillar of the business, the ability to have an impact and, and grow it as the company scales and grows, you know, is a, you know, in some cases, a limitless opportunity. I would argue that in our case at Horizon, it's, it's certainly been that way and, and has been incredibly exciting to sort of bear witness and be a part of the growth of our impact. Can you give us a, a rundown of what Horizon does and what is your role uh, as Senior Director of Corporate Social Responsibility at Horizon? What does that entail? Sure. So Horizon Therapeutics is a global biotechnology company, and we're focused on treating rare and rheumatic diseases, which basically means there are many diseases that exist in the world, and a lot of them affect larger patient populations. And there are many treatments that are available. In the case of Horizon, what we really try to focus on are those those rare diseases that affect very small patient populations where there might not be a treatment available. And so the the impact on one's life, on a patient's life in finding a treatment for them can have dramatic impacts on their quality of life. So that's kind of our, our niche area. And my role within the company is, is to really grow and build our, our philanthropic footprint, the way that we show up in communities and, and engage our employees along the way. So it's been quite a journey and really kind of kicked off because our, our founding CEO, Tim Walbert is a patient himself. So he's a bit of a unique CEO of a public company and the, the company itself, it's, it's not a private, um, company. It's not a social entrepreneurship venture. We're not a B Corp. Um, it's a public company. And despite that, he made the, the, I would argue wise decision to invest in corporate social responsibility philanthropy before the company was even profitable. Just hmm. as he was building out his human resources, business development, all the other areas that, you know, an entrepreneur needs to, to kind of uh, strengthen as they grow the company. And that was because he wanted to build a kind of company that just really kind of embedded this ethos of supporting community from its inception. And, and what that has done over time has created this just incredibly vibrant culture that I would argue is authentic in attracting the kind of talent that further fuels the way that we give back, right? So we attract individuals and facilities or research and development or legal who are really drawn to the mission of how we show up in our communities, despite the fact that it's not really related to their day-to-day -day jobs. So I've gotten to bear witness and help grow and fuel that culture along the way. That's amazing. Do you think that intentional effort of building that in from the get-go before you were even profitable, was that because of his personal experience with starting the company and actually being a patient of a, a rare disease? 
I mean, I don't, I don't want to speak on his behalf, on his intentions, but I think if I could speak from, I guess, how it's perceived by me, I think that absolutely had a role to play. I think yeah. for him, he felt the the desire to to really make sure that the, the benefits of the company were something that were shared across our communities. And he defined community broader than I think, in my opinion, you know, some some CEOs define it, right? Like your your stakeholder group could be limited to your shareholders, to your employees, to your investors, you know, and just kind of stop it there. And and from what I've seen is that Tim has always taken this this much broader view where patients are paramount, our community is paramount, really recognizing that businesses benefit from the health of the ecosystem within which they exist, right? So if you are conducting business in a community that does not have good schools or does not have good infrastructure, good public transportation, good roads, you're not going to attract the kind of talent that you need to build and grow your business. And so choosing to not invest in that ecosystem is really doing a disservice to the the long-term growth of a company. And so he's just always had that um, appreciation, I think, that that's needed to think holistically about the growth of our community. If this is the first time someone hearing CSR or corporate social responsibility, can you kind of give us a overview of what it is and why it's important for a company to implement? Yes. So it's really a, a movement that started a couple of decades ago. And, you know, in some regards, it was a sort of a reaction to increasing demands by, by customers who said, you know, we want to see the businesses that we're supporting uh, with our dollars, you know, giving back to their community and supporting the, the communities. And that movement has just really taken off and sort of ballooned in these, these decades where now we've got, you know, younger generations of workers who are, I would say demanding it, but sort of expecting that when they go to work for a business that they want to see that their business is creating opportunities for engagement in the community, that there are opportunities to donate and that the, the business is really kind of taking the lead on facilitating those experiences. I think as someone who cares deeply about how businesses can have an impactful presence in communities, I've really enjoyed seeing the transition from it being like a customer demand driven activity to, to sort of develop this corporate social responsibility to now there's this, you know, top down pressure that's meeting the bottom up pressure. So you have the investors that are saying, we want to see ESG metrics. We understand that this impacts the business and the viability of the business long term. If businesses are thinking strategically about their sustainability, their supply chains, their diversity of thought on their teams. And then you've got the bottom up pressure from the employees. And it's, it's sort of creating this perfect storm where we're all kind of on the same page, right? Like, yeah. and, and that doesn't typically happen. Like you normally have people making these different demands and, you know, there are different motivations. But, you know, what we're seeing today is this sort of coalescence of this idea of how important it is for a business across the board to show up and, and support their communities. And, you know, I'll note too, there's, I think there's this, this in, intentionality behind doing it in an authentic way, right? So like, it has to feel like the the decision to engage and support your community is one that 
is arrived at because, you know, there's the altruistic, like it's the right thing to do, but, but also that, that there's this intention to, to, to kind of activate the employees because you know, it's good for the business versus, you know, sort of waiting until I hit a certain revenue milestone and say, Oh, well, I guess now we have to give back and we're going to hire this person and kind of subject them to the basement so they can write a couple of checks and we'll all feel better about it. Right. Like when there's that disjointed approach, it just feels differently to everyone involved. So then how do you go about it at Horizon from what you were saying with Tim already wanting this as a major part of the business? Was that already kind of semi set up when you did start at Horizon Understanding and you were able to expand it? Uh, how do you ensure that the initiatives that you are undertaking is authentic with your stakeholders, your internal stakeholders, your customers? How do you go about that? So no, actually... Our CEO had done a bit of giving when I joined, <laughs> yeah. but it was pretty much a blank slate, which, you know, if you got a lot of social entrepreneurs listening, they'll, they'll appreciate this. Like I love a blank canvas, right? Like to just go in and be able to create and build. And especially when they are supporting you as well, you have exactly. a CEO that's going to support you to do, do that. That's exactly what I was going to say next, because at the time, the company was only five years old. So we were, and still today, remain a very entrepreneurially culture-oriented company. So yeah. there was this ability to, to create and build without the fear of failure impacting the ability to proceed. So we initially, we tried lots of different ways to engage to kind of see what resonated with the employees, what resonated with partners. And, and really where we've landed and is like a, an approach that I'm incredibly proud of, which is, and I think this is, is rooted in my, my background in nonprofit in the nonprofit sector, because I understand that the nonprofit world knows what needs to happen, right? Like they know what they need to accomplish their mission. And sometimes you'll have funders come in and say, you know, we want a computer lab or a science lab and we want to cut a ribbon. And there isn't a lot of, credit given to the partner being able to say, well, this is what we need to accomplish the mission, right? So so the way that we approach our stakeholders, our partners, I think in a, a bit of a unique way is we really sit down with them shoulder to shoulder and say, like, what are your needs? What do you need to accomplish your mission? And then we talk about areas that we tend to like to invest in, and we figure out where that overlap exists. And then build and grow the partnership from there, right? So we also, we, we don't want to do like a one and done. We actually will jump into a partnership and then we'll start bringing employees to serve on perhaps their board or their young professionals board. And then we do employee volunteer projects at their nonprofit. And then we do a donation drive with our employees, right? So we when we come to a partnership, like we come deep, we have a, a full host of opportunities for engagement, which I, I just I think it's really important to kind of view them as as partners in that. And and I'm assuming the employees love it. Uh, yes, they, I, I, <laughs> I, I think so. But we've got some really nice third party validation for that. Uh, People magazine actually named us to their top 50 companies that care list for the second time so, in 2020. Congratulations. Thank you. I mean, it's just from our perspective, the other companies that are on that list, you know, some of them are huge multinationals that have been giving for decades. And and the fact that we can be named with some of those titans, I think, is just a testament to the authenticity of, of our approach. Do you set up processes, put processes in place to then track 
the impact that you're having with these programs and knowing whether to renew a particular program or it doesn't work. Is that something from the, uh, from the get-go that you kind of set up that framework to be able to track whether you're having impact uh, in this area or not? Yes and, and no. So what we've tried to do with our partners is be flexible in how we approach each year. So, for example, we have this really deep uh, partnership with Perspectives Math and Science Academy. It's a school on the south side of Chicago in, in historic Bronzeville neighborhood. Most of the students, you know, per the principal, super majority of the students have been infected or impacted by trauma, violence, poverty. And so our approach with them is to, again, let them tell us what they need. And, and in response to that, our support has really been extended in like three major ways, infrastructure, programming and employee engagement. And so in each of those three buckets, you know, the projects that we fund on a year to year basis might fluctuate depending on what the needs of the school and the students are. But, you know, for infrastructure, for example, they had lead in their drinking water supply across the Chicago public school system. Well, there are all these effects of lead on the development of the brain and and behavior and and so we installed these water filtration stations throughout the school. So all the kids would have access to lead-free drinking water. You know, it's not necessarily directly tied to our, our pillars of giving, you know, healthcare, broadly speaking, but, you know, that's what the school needed. And so we responded. So like, that's a project we would do in one year. The next year, it was a piece of meditation room. Like, how can we help the kids de-escalate their emotions that are affected by trauma? And so we built this room and we actually fund the full-time staff member who can accept the kids when they're escalated, work on healthy wow. coping skills, and then get them back into the classroom. Don't you wish that we had that when we're at school, yes. <laughs> a yeah. peace and meditation room? Or like now, I would love to have one at right. my house. <laughs> <laughs> right. And like if everyone meditated in this world, it would be a completely different planet. That's beautiful. That's awesome. If you are working at a company that it could be a smaller company that doesn't have a dedicated person working on mm -hmm. uh, CSR or impact, but you as an employee wants to take that initiative to try and, you know, get that company uh, doing something mm -hmm. both for the, the employees and for the community. Now you had a, a great CEO to work with that wanted to do this from the get-go. What if you're working with a CEO that hasn't thought about this, what is the best approach as an employee mm -hmm. to be able to go to your boss, your manager and say, hey, can we start doing something, especially considering the last year and all the different issues that we have faced? What do you think is the best approach? Yeah, I'm a, I'm a big believer in grassroots organizing. And it seems, well, one, I, one of the key messages that I've been trying to share as broadly as possible is like, you don't need to wait to do this kind of work. Like, mm -hmm. you don't have to have a budget to do this kind of work. You can get with two colleagues and you can volunteer your time and you can start there. So I would encourage people to, if, if you've got that burning desire and you're curious about this, start talking about it. Surely there are others that you work with that are interested too. And you can form yourselves in a, in a committee and just start exploring different ways that you can give back. And you know, if that spreads, then there's always an opportunity within your HR team. Maybe it's your direct line of um, your management. Eventually, you know, you can get up into the executive suite potentially. But I think, 
you know, starting with yourself and taking that first step and building from there creates an opportunity to to go wherever you can within the organization that you exist within. And if the organization is not receptive to it, there's always <laughs> an opportunity to go elsewhere, right? Most certainly. And and I would argue nonprofits, particularly this year, are in high demand for support. So you yeah. could explore a range of um, different ways to engage. Uh, just one example that I'll share, like we struggled with the transition to virtual volunteering because our employees are so active. But one of the really creative options that we provided to folks was we partner with a, it's a transitional housing shelter for women and children in the Lake County um, area. It's a, a suburb north of Chicago. And so we encouraged our employees to sponsor a, a meal from a local business, a restaurant that they adore that was hurting because of COVID and have it delivered to the shelter. So then the women and children could have a meal that evening. So you get like a double impact with a gesture and it's something you can do easily from your home. And that's something that anyone can do regardless of where they are. So thinking about other ways that you can be impactful, maybe that you know don't necessarily include work-related activities, but you, you can do it on your own. A lot of companies that do have CSR programs, is there like a common thing that you see them getting wrong with their initiatives? I don't know if I would say like getting wrong, because I think when the intention is there to to have a positive impact, like that needs to be commended, because in the absence of that, I mean, it, it, it's um, not a great alternative. So the intention should be noted. I do feel like there needs to be more participation of of the folks that are being funded and impacted by the support in the decision making. So I think that's a conversation that's really happening in the philanthropic world right now is, you know, who gets to make the decisions on how funds are allocated and what needs to change in order to address some of these structural inequities that have existed for a while. And yeah. and so you see a lot of the, the power dynamic, you know, gender, race, et cetera, and a lot of that needs to change. And so we've been taking that approach with our partners, right, to try to encourage the voices of the people that you're helping into shaping how the help is delivered. I'll provide another example of this. I mentioned the school that we partner with Perspectives Math and Science Academy, you know, some of the kids were not showing up for school. This was pre-COVID. And, you know, the school was checking in with them and couldn't figure it out. And the kids would be, you know, kind of like resistant for interventions. And long behold, like the, the, the cost of public transportation ended up being a barrier. And some of the teachers started subsidizing the cost of transportation for the kids out of their pocket. And, you know, it, it could have been approached in a number of different ways by the school and the funder. Like, what's the problem with public? Like, why aren't the kids coming to school? Well, let's, you know, do more enrichment programming or let's do this or this or that. But when you go to the core of it and you like actually talk to the kids and say, why aren't you coming to school? And they say, I don't have 75 cents for the bus fare. Oh, OK, well, we can, we can help you do that. Like, let's create a transportation fund. And so the teachers aren't coming out of their pocket. Now we're helping support the kids get to school. Right. So it's. Sort of breaking down, I think, these systems where people on the funding, on the funder side, think that they've got it all figured out and they know what's needed and instead start listening a bit more. For someone that is looking to transition, or maybe they are graduate and they and and they coming into the corporate sector or making that decision, I want to use my skills for good. Do I work at an 
look at a nonprofit? Do I look at going to a B Corp? Is there any advice that you would give them or any tips on what to look for when you're kind of making that decision? I mean, I, I'm, I'm a big evangelist when it comes to accepting or embracing this idea that you can have an impact, like regardless of where you sit. So in my opinion, you know, the B Corp, obviously there's a, there's a structural impact that's embedded into the business and that is fantastic, but you could go to a for-profit entity and individually have a much bigger impact because of what you can leverage and bring to bear. So I, I would say probably more than the entity itself, I think it's more tapping into how you like to show up personally. So some of our employees like to roll up their sleeves and get out a hammer and a paintbrush and build a peace room. And if that's what they love, like we can create continual opportunities for them to do that. Other employees like to Skype into a classroom and give advice to students on an ideation process around an innovation prototype that they're creating. That's great. We can create that too. Other employees like to be secret Santa shoppers, right? So like there are different ways that you can show up and have an impact. And so I think really understanding what drives you, what gets you excited is is a starting point, And then you can kind of create and build opportunities around that. Have you seen any big differences from your experience of working at a nonprofit and government and now a for-profit? Is it going back to what you were saying before about the scalability of the impact that you can have? Definitely. I think it's a scalability. And, and I also appreciate the opportunity to build bridges with, and create allies that, you know, I might not have had access to otherwise. So in the nonprofit world, it's like an echo chamber, right? Like everyone's there because they want to do good and they're all talking to each other and they're all solution building together. But it's, it's very insular. And, you know, to some extent, you could say the same thing about government. But in business, you might have access to thousands of employees that don't know what social impact is or haven't heard of corporate social responsibility. And so if you have a moment where you can communicate with them how they could have an impact or encourage them to donate, and then they start feeling good about it, they get more engaged. I mean, I can't tell you how many employees have started donating with a donation drive. And the next thing you know, they're reaching out to us and saying, can you help me serve on this board? Can you you know, help me figure out how to donate to this community? Um, organization, right? So it's, it's, it's like you start building this movement within that entity. And, and that's exciting to me because I, I like bringing new people into the fold. What makes a good partnership as a for-profit company and, and potentially you may be uh, looking after the CSR initiatives and you're looking for, for partners, for nonprofits to work with, let's say that you have kind of worked out the areas that you want to invest in, it's authentic to your company values and, and you know, what you believe in, then how do you go out and uh, approach partners? I think it's getting to know each other in a really intimate way. And you know, I, I, I strongly discourage when I talk to a couple of nonprofits and they're like, you know, we're trying to reach CSR professionals. Can you give us some tips on how to, to, you know, connect with them? And, you know, they might be sending out these like cold call emails that are just not personalized and not related to the business. And it's just, it's not a, an effective use of time. And instead, if you, if you really take the time to get to know us and we get to know you, sometimes the, the overlap can just become evident. And I'll give you one really great example. There's a nonprofit organization called Gift of Adoption. And this is an organization that has chapters throughout the U.S. And they help place children who are the most difficult to place in adoptive situations. So globally, children that have severe medical issues 
and or siblings. They're kind of the, the ones that remain in, in orphanages and government care. And, and so they, they focus on helping those kids. They, we started kind of this conversation to explore and, and they pulled their data and they actually came to us and said, in fact, a very high percentage of the kids with healthcare conditions that we place have rare diseases. And hey, you're a rare disease company. Like, I think we should do something together on this. And ultimately what we ended up doing was we seeded a, it's called the gift of adoption. It's the rare is adoption fund. And, and we seeded this program that now over the course of three years is going to place 30 children in adoptive families and they all have rare diseases adopted from all over the world. And so it's just like beautiful partnership. We've got these, it just, we told the story of the first uh, family we were able to help. And it's like, I've watched this video a hundred times and every single time I cry when I watch the video because it's just so moving. It, in fact, it, it just won an international film festival award. So I'll, I'll share it with you if you want to pass it along to your listeners yeah. and they'll have to have their tissue box handy. <laughs> yeah. We, I love a good cry. I love a good documentary that, that will make you cry. So yeah, please share the link and I'll, and I'll put it in the show notes. So on the nonprofit end, if you are executive director or you're fundraising for your nonprofit, it's about being really targeted and specific and doing some research on looking for for partners at for-profit companies is there any place other than the website the company website that they can search for that kind of information in terms of what the company has donated before to get mm -hmm. some intel in terms of whether it's going to be a uh, right fit or not Yes. So most companies will talk about their work in their annual report, or they might have a separate corporate social responsibility report. So I would suggest, you know, looking for those. In our case, we have a, a beautiful website that talks in great depth about many of our partnerships and how we engage with the community. And, you know, it just, I guess, an additional note, if the, if the question is really intended to help the nonprofits think through how they can connect with a, a, a fund or a company, I would say that it's also in addition to finding like the, the strategic overlap between a business and their their nonprofit mission, I, I wouldn't discount the ability to find overlapping relationships too, right? Like using LinkedIn, seeing who's on the board, perhaps there's overlapping board memberships between your board and, and their board of directors or employees. Whenever you have, you know, someone that has an affiliation with the organization, kind of making an introduction or kind of helping you get in the door, it's always much easier to start the conversation because there are a lot of inbound requests that that come. And if there's just no, you know, personal connection or overlap in the in the it just it kind of gets stuck in a in a pile with many, many other requests. What areas does Horizon Therapeutics look for when they are looking for partners? What are you investing in in, in that space? So our pillars of giving, we have four. They are innovation, STEAM, which is science, technology, engineering, the arts, and mathematics, healthcare, and environmental sustainability. So in each of those four areas, we really try to find partners that can help us think creatively. Like I, I don't, I don't know if other funders kind of approach their partnerships with the same um, enthusiasm around new ideas. But that's really where we try to navigate towards is, you know, you might have programs that you've been running for 20 years, and that is amazing. And a lot of funders like to, to, to do that kind of funding. But really where we like to, to engage is where are those new opportunities? Like, 
get those dreams off the shelf that, you know, have been sitting there for a while. And let's talk about those and see if there's a way for us to work together to, to try and explore those dreams. Talking about being innovative in that space, what do you think the outlook looks like for for-profit and their CSR departments? How do you see that evolving over the next few years? I, I'm very hopeful for the expansion of the work. And I think that's because of all of the interest in, in ESG, really. I mean, I, when you have investors, you know, across the board starting to pay attention and, and, and asking executives, what are you doing for the environment? How are you managing your risk when it comes to your supply chain and climate change? And, and, you know, coupled with that, you're starting to see legislation that's being passed in these same areas. It creates an environment where there's an, a collective interest in kind of pushing the, the activities and the intentionality forward. And so I'm really excited that, you know, at Horizon, we're trying to remain on the forefront of that. Like we want to set the bar for what it means to give back for companies of our size and, as this advent of ESG continues to grow in strength, like we want to continue to sort of be the standard bearers of, of you know, setting that that bar. I, I am hopeful that other companies will be jumping in and, and figuring out how they can get involved and have an impact too. I love it. One last question, Holly. If, if you are a, a CSR professional or you may be new to the space and you're actively going because there could be more interest now, more opportunities to for these positions at companies. Are there some things that they should look for when they are interviewing with a company? Are there certain things that they should be asking? Mm -hmm. Like, do you have a budget? I know you you were saying before, you know, even if you don't have a budget that you can still make impact, but is there a few things that someone that should be asking if they interviewing for that kind of position. Definitely. So I think one area is is knowing like what your appetite for risk is. So if you appreciate the blank slate and creating and building and you're not afraid to fail, then I think understanding where the business is in their life cycle and where the the corporate social responsibility program department is in its life cycle is really important because yeah. you know in a company like Horizon we're all kind of moving in many different directions. And, you know, with each addition to our team, you know, responsibilities are adjusted and changed. And so there's just this, this high level of flexibility that's necessary. But if you know that, you know, you like to execute and you like to know exactly what's expected to you day after day after day, you might opt for a company that's had a corporate social responsibility program for several decades and you come in and your responsibilities are very clear. Maybe it's grant management. And so you collect quarterly reports and you review them and you do the RFP and like that's what you do. So right. I think knowing yourself and, and, and how you want to show up at, in work is important and how you approach companies and kind of understanding where they are. I think another really important thing to, to, figure out, which, you know, could be challenging is understanding the, the internal commitment to giving back. So like for me, it's, it's, is this really something that's important to the business, to the leaders? And, and they feel like there's value when it comes to recruitment, retention, culture, you know, all those engagement rates, it, they like where you can attach dollars, right? Like if they understand that connection, then the buy-in and the support is going to feel very different than if the the leaders are kind of thinking that 
this is sort of like, oh, this is a feel good thing. It's over there. Yeah, it's an add on. It's not something that we need to be integrated into our business. It's going to feel very differently in how you execute your work and the kind of support and engagement that you have. And so, again, that's kind of hard to tease out. But, you know, I think you can get a feel for it. You can kind of check out how they talk about their work online, their, their social platforms, what their executives are saying publicly. Holly, so if there's someone listening that is at a nonprofit and they heard about those four pillars, where's the website that they can go and and, and read up a a little more about that? So our website is horizontherapeutics.com and our our inbox for our team is csr at horizontherapeutics.com. Beautiful. I'll include that all in the show notes. Holly, thank you so much for coming on and sharing your insight and experience in the CSR field and what you're doing over at Horizon. Thank you so much. It's been an absolute uh, pleasure to talk to you. Thank you. I've, I've really enjoyed the conversation. Thank you. Now, didn't I tell you there was something for everyone in this episode? I had so much fun talking about all these different topics with Holly. First, for those who want to start giving back and getting involved with some initiatives, you can start now. You don't need your company that you work with to have a whole program planned out. You can take the lead and jump into a cause you care about and get some colleagues involved. I loved Holly's thoughts on what to think about if you're an impact and CSR professional who is currently interviewing for these roles. Have a think about what type of environment you personally thrive in And then during the interview, ask questions that will give you some insight into what you could be walking into. Please reach out to Holly and let her know what resonated with you from this episode. I've included in the show notes where to find Holly on LinkedIn. Our guests really love it when they hear from you all. So don't hesitate to appreciate. (laughs) Thanks for showing up and listening. I'll see you next time.